Michael, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. focus on, and last week I talked about feeling broken, right? Feeling broken, like you've messed it all up, with nothing left to give, right? I've been in that, that place before where I know God is real, and I know God is good, but I'm also not fully comprehending that he also loves me, Right? Yes, he is real. Absolutely. Yes, he is so good. But how could a a good God, if he is truly good, how could he love me? This not so good. But like, I'm a mess. I'm I'm a terrible person. I I do things. I know I shouldn't. I I don't do things. I know that I should. I, I don't understand myself. Right? Like, why do I do things that make me feel awful? This almost a direct quote from Romans 7, by the way. If you've been in that place, you're not alone. (laughs) The greatest missionary evangelist of all time wrote that. Paul, why do I do things I know I shouldn't do? I'm a mess. I I feel awful afterward. We're not alone in those feelings. Right? We have all been there. And some of us have been through such trauma in our lives, like, Crisis after crisis. Maybe we can all relate to that this year. I don't know, but always having our guard up, right? So far that it becomes difficult to process new situations in a healthy way. The battles just keep coming and coming. You feel like you're physically there, but like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you're miles behind. Like your brain just cannot keep up with what's going on around you. This is battle fatigue battle fatigue. Like sometimes life beats us up. Sometimes people are exhausting, like in Moses' case we talked about last week, right? Sometimes though, we put ourselves in battle fatigue. Sometimes we put ourselves there. Guilt and shame are some of the most exhausting emotions in the human range of emotions. They're exhausting living in guilt and shame. And we're not alone in our guilt and shame either, by the way. In fact, with the notable exception of, of course, Jesus Christ, all of our biblical heroes had to deal with that at some point, just like we do today. And I got to thinking about that this week. They struggled just like I did. Do. And I thought about Peter. Peter was the guy who was most faithful to Jesus. He was sold out, all in. He wasn't going to anyone. He wasn't going to let anyone mess with Jesus, right? He was like, ride or die, in it to win it, there to the bitter end. Like, he wouldn't even let Jesus speak against Jesus. (laughs) Remember the conversation where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan? That was the Peter. Let me just read a couple of these verses to you. 
Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go into Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. He told them this. He began to tell them this. It wasn't a one-time thing. He told them many times he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Peter takes him aside and begins to reprimand him. This is the text, verse 22. Begins to reprimand him for such things. Can you imagine reprimanding Jesus? God himself in human flesh. (laughs) And he's right in front of you. You're reprimanding Jesus. And he said, heaven forbid, Lord. Heaven forbid they take you and kill you. Heaven forbid. This will never happen to you. In verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Oh, ouch. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter must have been so hurt, confused, and offended. He must have felt such shame. I mean, Jesus went on to explain some more things, but let me tell you, they don't exactly explain this. And they were thinkers. Peter probably spent the rest of his life unraveling the truths that Jesus spoke to him in those next few moments. He, he thought he was saying the right things. Right? I mean, he thought he was doing the right thing, rebuking Jesus for his defeatism. You're just being negative, Jesus. You can't, you can't talk like that, right? You have to have faith to overcome. Be an overcomer, Jesus. Come on, you got this. Name it and claim it. Apply your faith. How dare you? Things that sound good and faith-filled, and it sounds like he's on the right track. I, I can't tell you how much I relate to this. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you, just for some background, for those of you who don't, no, or maybe you're new around here. My husband, Aaron, worship leader up here with the guitar and songbird voice, he went through kidney failure last year. I mean, end stage, renal failure. We didn't even go through the stages. We just skipped to end stage, renal failure. And for two years, we struggled. But for two years, he was on the stage leading us in worship, serving his church even through the pain and the sleepless nights and the dialysis, all of it. He was up here serving. But I can't tell you how many times I got rebuked for saying that he wasn't doing well. Right? Like good, well-meaning people would come and say, how's Aaron doing? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, he's not doing well. Right? Like there towards the end, we were scared. He's not doing well. I mean, he's here, you know, we're here, but we're not doing well. And do you know what they didn't want to hear at the end of that sentence? The truth. Nobody wants to, I mean, believe me, I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want to say it myself. Nobody wants to hear he's not doing good, right? But you ask me if he's doing well, I'm going to tell you the truth. And sometimes, this wasn't the case for most of us, but once in a while, in my own church, <laughs> I don't know why it's things a little bit worse, 
Boy, in my own church, I'd get rebuked. Of people standing in the back of the sanctuary telling me, you can't say that. Don't you dare. Don't, don't speak out loud that he's not doing well. How dare you? Speak faith. In fact, I don't, he's not even going to need a transplant. Don't even make the appointment. <laughs> How dare you? say that he's not doing well. You have to proclaim it in faith. Speak it in faith. Okay, but you, you didn't ask me what I'm believing for. You asked me how he's doing. And the truth is, he is not doing well. See, this is Peter's problem. Peter, with Jesus, in that particular conversation, he only had faith for his particular idea of victory. That's all his faith was good for. His very specific brand of victory. He wanted Jesus to fit within his box, his narrative. He didn't yet know how to have faith through hardship. He wanted to go around it, over it, under it, to obliterate the hardship. He didn't want to have anything to do with, with the killing and the the persecution that Jesus just proclaimed? Like, how dare you, Jesus? We can have faith around that, that you're going to be victorious. He didn't realize just how long this particular battle was going to be. That Jesus wasn't just fighting battles. He was at the end of winning a very long war. Peter only had faith for a small portion of that battle. And that's not what Jesus, Jesus was trying to prepare him for a war. And we see Peter fail, right? He flails, he falters in his faith. He, he, the most extra of all the disciples, right? He's always going way overboard with everything. I mean, he's in it to win it. And yet he's the one who denies Jesus, he didn't betray him. He's not Judas, but he's the one that we talk about all the time as, as betraying him. He, he denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing him. Because his faith was based around victory. And this, this, this death, this capture, this torture that Jesus was going to have to endure, that's not victory. So... Maybe it was all a lie. He was confused. He, he was ashamed. So misunderstanding the point. His faith was based around his version of victory, not around the God of victory. He couldn't wrap his head around it. Look, I think this is the main factor that would have driven Peter to battle fatigue. Peter's problem wasn't with other people like Moses is. Like Peter's problem was where his faith was placed. But he had faith. It was just faith in the wrong thing. His faith was misplaced. And, and listen carefully because I think this is a little bit of why the American church is struggling right now. We have been trained to think that, that we have to take ground take ground, take ground. We have to fill buildings and build more buildings and push, push, push. That If we're not increasing actively all of the time, we must be failing. 
but we, f- we forget that we serve a God who sees a bigger picture than just the here and now. We serve Jesus who sometimes fed the crowds and saw them flock to him. And then the very next day, they all leave. Sometimes we have to sell something to, to later buy something else. Sometimes we have to take a step backward before we can take a step forward. And sometimes we have to submit to the death of something so that something else can be resurrected. Peter didn't know it yet, but he was going to have to submit to the death of his overcomer for the here and now so that an overcomer forever could be resurrected. The cross certainly seemed like a step backward to Peter. Couldn't have not. I mean, it, it seemed like a humongous step backward. Can you put, put yourself in his shoes for a second? See the heartbreak. Feel the pain. What he must have felt seeing Jesus dragged off to the cross. But the good news is, then came Sunday. Then came Sunday. And aren't you glad we serve a God who plays the long game? <laughs> right? Who has a bigger picture in his mind than just the here and now. That Jesus didn't just come for that generation and time and place. He came for all of us forever. The cross wasn't a step back, although it felt like one. It was a step forward. They just couldn't see it yet. And I think... Peter was glad too in the end, right? But then he had to deal with the guilt and the shame of his denial, right? He got to see Jesus in his resurrected state. He had to have been rejoicing by that point, but there was still that guilt. I denied him three times. And all they were asking is if I knew him, they weren't asking me to crawl up on the cross beside him. They just asked me if I knew him. So shameful, right? Knowing that his faith faltered when it was most needed. Knowing that his faith did not withstand the trial that it should have been built for. That Jesus had prepared him for. Knowing that he doubted when he should have trusted. He betrayed when he should have stood by. Faithless when he should have been faithful. And after the resurrection, Peter must have still been dealing with that shame. He must have still been dealing with the battle fatigue of a battle lost. But in one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, Jesus shows up when he wasn't expected after the resurrection, and he changes everything. And I just, I want to read this passage to you. John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing. All night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, 
Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Can you imagine how ridiculous that must have sounded? <laughs> like, it's not that big of a boat, <laughs> Jesus. The right side's no different <laughs> than the left. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I just, I love that Jesus just shows up and seems to bless them for fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like last week we read that God wanted to give his people water, right? That fact has still been hitting me all week last week. Like, even though the Israelites complained, if you haven't heard this, go back and listen to week one of battle fatigue. Even though the Israelites complained, God wanted to give them water. God loves giving to us. He loves to give, right? And here we see Jesus blessing them in their old secular jobs. Just for fun, because he loves them, right? Their worldly pursuit. It, it was like, it, it almost reads like Peter was like, well, that's over. I'm going fishing. <laughs> like, I'm going back to what I was doing before. I, I don't know what else to do. Jesus, he's risen, but I, I, I don't know where he is. So I guess I'll go fishing. And Jesus shows up in that place and blesses him. I just love that. Verse seven, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. <laughs> this is Peter, the personality. Like he's always just extra. Like you couldn't have waited till you rode in. He just jumped in. He's all in. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. Not even that far. <laughs> he couldn't wait. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Doesn't it just tickle you a little bit that Jesus made them breakfast? He feeds them physically and then sets about ministering to them spiritually. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were about 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come. And have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I love this passage. At three times, Peter denied knowing Jesus. And three times, Jesus gave him a chance to make up for it. I think that's significant. Three times he said, do you love me? And when God asked the question, does he need the answer? 
When God asks a question, is it because he needs to know the answer or is it because we do? Did Jesus know that Peter loved him? Of course he did. Did Peter know that he loved Jesus? Of course he did. But did Peter know that Jesus knew? (laughs) When things were weird between them, right? Like, like he didn't know if he still had a place in Jesus' mission. Like, like he had messed up so thoroughly. His faith had, had failed. Did, did Jesus even still believe in him? Once upon a time, Jesus called him the rock upon which he would build his church. Did he lose that position? Was he still that guy? I think in one genius but very short conversation, Jesus demonstrated love and forgiveness to Peter and commissioned him at the same time. So I love this passage. I even realized a couple of things just reading it through again here this morning. It's amazing how much Jesus communicates in a tiny bit about a time. And I know he wants to do the same for you today. A lot of us have been walking around with this guilt and shame. And we've messed up. We view ourselves as messed up. Jesus wants to change all of that. You don't have to walk around with those feelings anymore because Jesus shows up. He shows up in your life and he offers forgiveness. Did you notice here Jesus didn't use Peter's new name when addressing him. Do you remember what he called him? Three times he said, Simon, son of John. He called him Simon, despite the fact that Jesus was the one who renamed him to Peter. Here, Jesus calls him Simon. And I wonder if because in that moment, he wasn't acting like a Peter. He was acting like Simon. The shame and the guilt, especially now that Jesus had risen again, it drove him back to his old ways. He wasn't walking with the authority that Jesus needed him to, to to be the rock that the church was built upon. He he was inconsistent. He was all over the place. He, He gave up when the going got tough. He went back to fishing. But Jesus didn't even mention any of that. He didn't mention what Peter did wrong. He he didn't mention his lack of faith or his wishy-washiness or or the three times he said, no, I don't know him. He just looked him in the eyes and said, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I think that was healing for Peter. He was initially hurt that Jesus would keep asking. But after, I imagine that he could see what Jesus was doing with time. In one short conversation, Jesus did at least four things for Peter, and I want to list them here for you today. First, he was calling Simon back into Peterhood. I know that's not the best English, but it's true. He was calling Simon back into Peterhood, right? Put the past to rest, Simon, son of John. You're not that guy anymore. I'm speaking life back into your future. He was teaching Peter how to live in the present, not in the past. Don't go back to that. 
I'm calling you to more. So I'm asking that old guy, that Simon guy, do you love me? Because the Simon guy doesn't know. He needs to be reminded. He needs to hear it come out of his own mouth. He needs to be reminded that he's Peter now. He's the rock upon which Jesus Christ would build his church. He has a new identity, a new name. He's not Simon anymore, but how many times do we do this? How many times do we want to go back? We want to go back. Like the the battles are too hard. There There are too many. Maybe I was right before. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe everything that was said about me, maybe they were right. I should have listened. I'll be honest, I've been tempted to go back there. I was a shy, scared little girl growing up. A social anxiety, I couldn't speak, couldn't talk. And yes, I know where I am, I'm saying this, but that's who I was. I was not this person you see in front of you today. I was a different person, so scared. And yet I've still been tempted at times to go back to that place. Because it is painful to speak up sometimes. It is painful not being able to please everyone and putting yourself out there so that everyone has an opinion about you. It's easier being quiet. It's easier. And after a failure or two, you've hurt someone's feelings or done something you shouldn't, it's tempting to go back to say I was right to fear, right? It was better before. We see this all throughout the Bible that Israelites were like, it was better in Egypt. It was better in slavery. Let's go back. At least we had a roof over our head. But Jesus, Jesus comes and he basically says, you might not be right to trust yourself all of the time, but trust me. Let's move forward together. Peter was meant to be the rock that Jesus would build his church upon. He had a part to play. Simon needed to be left on that beach. He was calling Simon back into Peterhood. Number two, he was forgiving and healing him from those three denials. Peter may have been questioning whether Jesus even knew. Right? The guilt and shame usually drives us further away. I tell people this all the time. Guilt and shame makes you want to run away from church, from God, from anything that has to do with that. Conviction, on the other hand, is from the Holy Spirit, and it pulls you toward God. This is the difference. You can identify what a feeling, where a feeling is coming from, by what it makes you want to do. Guilt and shame, run away. Conviction pulls you toward God. Conviction is healthy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And it's God saying, I love you so much. And so you're like, oh, well then I want to change. I want to be better for you. Because guilt and shame just beats us up. I'm no good. I can't do it. I'm afraid. I've messed up. It makes us want to back away. This... What Jesus is doing here, he's not beating him up with guilt and what he's done wrong. He's pulling him, saying, I love you. 
right? Do you love me? It's conviction from the Holy Spirit. But I, I wonder whether Peter was like, does he know what I did? <laughs> I mean, he was a little preoccupied at the time. Being tortured, <laughs> beaten, put on a cross. Maybe, maybe he didn't notice. We, we haven't had a whole lot of time to talk after everything. And maybe, maybe he didn't even know. And here Jesus is just proving again that of course he knows he's the son of God. But also that Peter didn't have to live with it. Jesus isn't just interested in spreading the good news to gain popularity or a following or fame. It's not what he's interested in. Jesus is interested in your healing, in your wholeness, your goodness. He wants more for you. He he wants us to spread the good news about him so that we can all experience that kind of love. It's not about the fame and the following. The love of God makes you whole. Not perfection. The, The hoop jumping of religion doesn't do that. The love of God does that. Forgiveness does that. Grace does that. And that's what Jesus was interested in on that beach. He wanted Peter to know that he knew, but that it didn't stop him from doing what he had to do, what he had been called to do. He wanted Peter to know that he knew, but it was okay. Jesus loved him anyway. He forgave him anyway. He was still calling him. And there's something powerful about hearing yourself say something that's been in your head. This is called confession. Confession. Confessing with your mouth. Saying something out loud that you're going to change. It's powerful. Our words are powerful. Jesus wasn't saying, confess all your sins to me. He was saying, do you love me? I want to hear it from your lips. You need to hear it from your lips. Do you love me? He was forgiving him and healing him. And three little questions from his three huge failures. Number three, he was getting buy-in again from Peter. Do you know this concept, buy-in? You're bought in to something, he was getting buy-in again from Peter. By getting Peter to speak out loud, he was fostering a passion in Peter that Peter didn't even know he had at the time. He was overcoming shame, which can be so exhausting and counterproductive, with passion, with love, and he was getting Peter to say it out loud. Not for his own benefit, but for Peter's. The power of confession. When you're able to say something out loud and then say it to another person, it changes things in ways you cannot even expect. And Jesus knows us so well. He knew that Peter would be motivated by a little bit of, I bet you won't. Right? Like the third time he's saying, do you actually love me? That's what Peter heard. Are you for real? Do you love me? Peter heard that because he was hurt by it, right? And so the third time he's like, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. What what do I have to do to prove it? I'll do anything, right? The first time he might've been like, yes, I love you, Lord. Like, do you know about what I did? 
like checking his vibe. You know what I mean? Yes, I love you. The second time may, may have been a little more confident. Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. But the third time, he's Peter again. <laughs> right? A little bit of that like jumping in the water Peter came out. Like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It was almost like God was saying, well, then prove it. And he was saying, I'm going to feed those sheep. I'm going to feed the heck out of those sheep. Right? Yes, I love you. I'm going to prove it. What what do I got to do? I'm going to feed the sheep. And Peter needed that. Jesus was fixing his want to, that drive inside of him, his, his inner want to. He may have still wanted to be in, but that shame and that guilt put up so many walls. Jesus was overcoming that with a drive again, the passion. He got Peter's buy-in again with three little questions. Look, battle fatigue breaks our want to. I don't want to anymore. Just don't want to. Like, we know we should, should get out of bed and go be an adult today. We just don't want to, right? Breaks our want to. Jesus can fix that. He fixed it for Peter. He was basically saying to Peter, and he knew exactly what would motivate Peter. He's basically saying to Peter in so many words, prove it. Prove that you love me by getting back to work. And that is number four. He was calling Peter back to work calling him back to work. Peter seems to always have a problem with focus. He's focused on the wrong thing. He has faith, but in the wrong things. He's he's all over the place. And Jesus here was refocusing him. He was defining who he was by asking, do you love me? And Peter having to say, I love you, Lord. That's who he is. But out of who he was, He's pointing him in the right direction. Then get to work. Look, there were probably people gathering back in Jerusalem as they spoke, right? They were probably hoping Jesus would show up again. I mean, the the women, have you ever really looked at the women surrounding Jesus' ministry? The women were the ones financing his ministry. They followed him around and they served him. They made sure he had a place to sleep and, and they fed him. They were They were very involved, not one of the 12 disciples, but very involved in his ministry. And then they were the ones still at the cross. We don't see any of the other disciples ministering to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. And then who's at the tomb when Jesus rises? Women. They're the first one to see him rise because they were there. Everybody else had gone back to fishing, I guess. They, they went somewhere, not there. But the women were attending to him. And they were probably back in Jerusalem right then, gathering, getting everybody together, making meals for people, talking about what was going to happen now. Right? We're not done with this, guys. We saw the Lord. I mean, something has to happen now. They were expecting something. But the disciples, they were all fishing. They went back. I guess I'll go be Simon again. (laughs) What is there now? Jesus didn't behave like we thought he was going to behave. He didn't do what we wanted him to do. And so, 
I don't know, I guess we'll just go fish. But there were people hungry back in Jerusalem. There were people gathering, hoping for more teaching from the disciples. They were just ready for more. They were hungry. True followers of Jesus, hungry. Peter wasn't done yet. He had a job to do. In fact, his work was just getting started. And Peter didn't go through the most intense three-year discipleship training process, program, (laughs) following Jesus around ever to do nothing with it. Jesus called him to something. He had a job to do. He had an education. Now, there were people back in Jerusalem that needed a shepherd. And he needed to go get to work. Listen, you may not have a new name straight from Jesus Christ himself today, but I'll bet if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time that you have a pre-Jesus you and a post-Jesus you. You can see a difference in yourself. You have a Simon nature, the old nature, and the one you're trying desperately to walk into. Jesus is saying to us today, don't go back. Don't allow 2020, whatever's happening in our world today, to take you back. Be the Peter that he's called you to be. Don't sew that veil back up, put walls back up between you and God. Don't revert. Don't go back to slavery like the Israelites. Don't let fear and shame and guilt put you back there. Because fish isn't going to be a problem. Jesus demonstrated that, right? I'll provide. No problem. But you're not called to fish for fish anymore. You're called to fish for people. And whether you're in ministry, that is the American culture version of ministry, this onstage thing, whether you're called to that or not, you're called to people. We often think of ministry as just this onstage stuff, the worship leaders, the pastors, the preachers, but there are so many genius entrepreneurs in this church There's so many gifted business leaders, skilled technicians and engineers and electricians and creative designers and artists and educators. God has called you to those things. And those gifts are not less in the kingdom of God. In fact, my gift of pastoring is called to serve yours, not be served by yours. But you're still called to people. As a follower of Jesus, you're called to people. You know that God will provide the fish and show up in an instant and fill your nets and cause them not to break. He will provide for you the sustenance, the the money, the roof over your head, the the food to feed your family, the, the business opportunities, whatever it is you need. He's got that. He will provide happily, actually. He loves to give. If you focus on people, minister to people, care for people, lift their burdens, show them the good news. Don't let battle fatigue steal your focus. Don't go back to the old you. You've got a job to do. You're called to something. The good news that Jesus showed Peter on that beach, he wants to show you today too. 
four specific things Jesus was communicating to Peter on that beach. May apply directly to us today too. I will provide for you. I will give you a future and a purpose. I will always forgive you and heal your soul. I will birth a new passion in you. Jesus ministered to him spiritually and then he put him to work physically. He said, go feed my sheep. Lead them. Tend to their needs. Now, I, I truly believe that it is not possible to be a fully mature believer. Right? We throw around these terms sometimes. God, I'm a, I want to be mature spiritually. I want to grow up in my faith. I don't think it's possible without having some outlet to feed sheep. Something, anything. Some way to give out of the overflow that God has placed within us. We're not meant to hold all of the joy that God gives. We're meant to overflow it. We're not meant to hold all of the peace. He gives more peace than we can handle. We're meant to give it. Right? We're not meant to hold all of that blessing that I mentioned in Matthew or Malachi 3.10, right? He wants to give you so much blessing, you're overflowing with it. That's not for you. The overflow is not for you. It's for you to give. You're not meant to hang on to it as a believer. We did a whole series last year called The Big Comfy Couch. No, The Couch Potato. The Couch Potato is the Christian that gets fat off of all the blessings that God gives. We get bloated spiritually. It's not healthy. We're not meant to live that way. We're meant to give it. Stop hoarding all of the overflow to yourself. Find a way to give it to someone else. It could be teaching kids in kids ministry. Right? Teaching them about Jesus. From a young and early age, it's so important. Kids have adult problems. They just don't know how to deal with them in an adult way. They need a Jesus. When they're scared, somebody to pray to. Somebody to express their feelings to when they don't know how. Right? Or maybe it's, it's youth ministry or it's leading a, a serve team or it's bringing outsiders in to the church. Maybe it's meeting with an accountability partner on a weekly basis. Maybe it's telling your kids what you've learned from God this week. Some way, somehow, you have to figure out how to give. Get to work loving people, giving into people, rescuing people because you've been rescued. And some would say, you know, maybe this was just Peter's mission. I'm just not a good speaker. I'm not someone people would want to follow. I have background gifts, not stage gifts. It wasn't just Peter. Right? In fact, to the men on the mountain at Jesus' ascension in Mark, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. It wasn't just Peter. 
right? To, to Peter and John, he said, feed my sheep. And in Matthew, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look, I, I want Freedom Valley to be a place where people can get to know Jesus. I want each and every one of you to be the vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples you need to be. You've been called to be so you can go into all the world and change the world with a message of the gospel. Uh, but not just knowing facts about Jesus, having some Bible memorized, right? Knowing some Bible trivia. You can know all the answers to all the Bible trivia questions I've ever put on the screen this year and still not know Jesus. There's a difference. We need to be people that have an active, open, consistent relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can give that to other people. This is not a place where you can stay complacent forever. Can't do it. In fact, you might be a little uncomfortable sitting through my sermons <laughs> week after week because I'm gonna challenge you. We can't stay here. Wherever here is for you, you can't stay in this spiritual place. You have to keep moving. You have to go feed the sheep. And the wonderful thing about feeding sheep is they keep you on your toes. They ask questions you don't know the answer to. You have to learn it. They have needs you don't know how to fill. You have to learn it. I, I have to share with you an example of this. I felt called a number of years ago to preach on healing, which was scary for me because I had never myself preached on healing. I saw evangelists, missionaries, other pastors preaching on healing hundreds of times probably, right? I grew up in church, in this church, and, and I saw healings happening around this stage constantly. I knew that God was real, that God is good, that he is a healer. I was concerned about me. What if I can't do it, God? What if I don't have the faith to see actual healings by my hand? And if I'm going to preach about it, I'm, I want to see it, right? What if I can't do it? And all that week, terrified, was praying constantly, God, what if, what if I get up there and preach and I tell people you can heal and then we don't see healings? What does that do to your reputation? I, I'm not good enough for this. I, I'm going to damage your reputation. Do you think God would let that happen though? I stepped out in faith, learned all that I could possibly learn. I mean, I had stuff memorized. I had pages of notes. I was ready. And I stood up and I began to preach about healing. And then I called people forward to actually get healed. That weekend, there's probably some people in this room that got healed that weekend, actually. We had at least four healings that could be measured right there in that moment. We had a number of people leave and tell me later that they, the pain never came back. And we cast out a demon that weekend. <laughs> Literally here around this altar, it happened. And afterward, I just said, God, <laughs> what just happened? He said, you fed the sheep. I'm always going to show up when you feed the sheep. 
I'm not going to leave you alone in it. You weren't called to do it by yourself. You're trying to do it by yourself. It's wrong. It's not. (laughs) Your calling should challenge you a little bit. You should be a little scared. You're not meant to do it by yourself. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Every week I stand in the back and I'm praying, praying in tongues. I'm, I'm, God, I need you to come with me. I'm not going up on that stage if you're not going. (laughs) There's nothing to say if you're not going to say it. It's not my words that heal people. It's his. I can't do it alone. I will revert to being that Simon nature. I will go back by myself. And I'm not willing to let that happen. Not living in fear anymore. I'm not going to stay in battle fatigue forever. I may be there for a night, right? Morning, it happens at night. But the next day comes joy. There is joy in the morning. God promises a new day. We're not meant to stay here forever. We're not going to be depressed forever. We're not going to walk in shame forever. We're not going to live with the guilt forever. Today is a new day. Joy comes in the morning. Refreshing comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will renew your soul if you let him. You have to give it to him. Who are you discipling through that? What sheep are you feeding? It's not just my job as your pastor. It's each and everyone who calls themselves a disciple to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we do. We are disciples and we are disciple makers. It is both. Can't be this or that. It is both. And I'm not just talking to the adults in the room either. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Teenagers, I'm talking to you too. Be an example for others. Show others there's a better way to live. Carefree. Right? We are free in the presence of Jesus. We are peaceful when the world is not joyful when every room you walk into wants to suck the joy out of you it cannot be sucked away Jesus is the joy and and every time I bring this particular subject up the the subject of spiritual maturity and giving in to other people and people want to say well but like, like I'm hurting feelings by leaving anyone out that might not be mature Right? Well, but can't you be mature but not have any anyone like not lead a small group or not like those aren't those just aren't my gifts. What about me? Now, Jesus had small seasons during his ministry where he withdrew to pray, to fast. Small seasons in his ministry. Forty days was the. See you all next week. He began his ministry with a 40-day fast, and he used that time very intentionally. There is one level of spiritual growth that can happen when you hear the word, and it's good. It's good growth. But there's another level that happens when you get into it for yourself. You crack open the Bible, begin to study it for 
yourself. And yet another level when you are in it, digest it, fully understand it, and then go tell others about it. In my view, three very specific levels of growth, of maturity, of discipleship in Jesus. If you're not there yet, keep pushing. Keep pushing. Get there. Don't let yourself become complacent. Don't revert. Maybe you've been there before, but you're not now. Keep pushing. It's possible to revert, right? We all know that you can enter mature levels in certain areas of your life and then regress, right? You can be physically fit, get lazy, and not be fit anymore. You can be financially stable, get pummeled by life, and not be financially stable anymore. These things happen. This is life. Spiritual maturity is really no different. You can regress out of laziness or offense or pride. Maybe it's something else that's keeping you from it, but let me just challenge you today. If you consider yourself to be a spiritually mature Christian, follower of Jesus, and you're not teaching anyone else, you're not pastoring anyone, mentoring anyone, telling anyone what you've learned from God this week, why not? Why not? Follow that line of thought through. Actually answer that question. Don't just let it be a challenge. Define it for you. Why not? I guarantee you'll come to a conclusion you don't like, but it will push you forward in your faith. Now let's be bold and brave warriors for Jesus in whatever form that takes for you. I'm not saying everyone has to have leadership gifts or speaking gifts or singing gifts or pastoring gifts. You don't have to be leading Bible studies to be spiritually mature, but you do have to be loving people. Somehow some way sharing with someone what you've learned feed my sheep Jesus said feed my sheep that one small interaction on a beach changed everything for Peter what is he saying to you today would you stand with me I'd like to pray father Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. Thank you for waking us up from battle fatigue, for taking away the guilt and the shame, for loving us enough to call us out of that and to call us into something. You have put within each and every one of us gifts and and talents and skills we can use to love people. God, I just boldly call them out of this church. Call them out. Bring your anointing on each and every one of us. That we would be step out, be able to step out in ways we never imagined. But the thing we're most scared of, we'd be able to boldly step into. Knowing the Holy Spirit will guide us, bolster us, empower us. Give us the strength and the words to say, God, I I pray that Peter's spirit over each of us today, not the Simon one. I pray that we would leave Simon on that beach and we'd move forward into Peterhood boldly, 
stepping into the calling that you have for us. God, rain down your Holy Spirit like you did on Peter on that day of Pentecost that we'd be able to speak out when before we hid. We'd be able to speak out when before we denied even knowing Jesus. That each and every one of us would find our unique mission field. We'd be able to change our world with the message of the gospel. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you're identifying how guilt and shame has held you back. Today you just want to tell Jesus you love him again. It's all he's asking for. Tell him. Get it off your chest. Tell him what you did. But know that he immediately forgives. That's what he does. Let his love wash over you again. Let his love forgive you today. Or maybe today you're the one saying, you know, I, I, I know I need to get to work. I'm not dealing with guilt and shame necessarily. It's just, I know God's called me to something and I, I just haven't done it yet. Tell him that too. He will call out of you gifts and talents you did not even know you had. He'll show you a place. But get ready because opportunities will start to come your way. If you're telling Jesus right now in this moment, I'm ready to get to work, they will come. Be ready to say yes. Prepare your heart now for saying yes. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for this word. God, I pray for anyone in this room today that is deciding for the first time to give their lives to Jesus, to really turn it all over to you, to surrender everything. To say, Jesus, come. Take this mess, my mess. Call me into something else. I'm ready. I'm ready to give it all to you. Follow you in everything I've done touch them in that place, God. Surround them with your presence, your peace, joy, and a purpose for their lives. Speak, God. You are a speaking God. Speak to us as we go from here today. Let each and every one of us go with a renewed sense of purpose in this stormy world. We'd have peace in the storm, joy in the battle. That we'd have faith in the God of victory, not just the victory itself. We thank you and we praise you for this word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God is good. God is good. Listen, if you gave your life to Jesus today, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, I'd love to walk you through that. Text the number on the screen that will be on the screen. I'd love to have that conversation with you. All right, see the ushers on your way out. We'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church/inn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
want to declare over us a, a peace today. Victory. That we can walk in victory even when we don't feel it. Amen? There's a peace here in this house. And so I've asked Latina, my good friend Latina, to come yes. share a word with us this morning. Amen, amen. All right, right in front. So good morning, Freedom Valley. It's an absolute privilege and pleasure to be here once again. I don't take it lightly that I was able to make it to the house of worship, the house of prayer. And again, it is always a pleasure for me, a privilege. My whole week starts off knowing that I can come and corporately and collectively worship with you all. And so I want you all to know that I, many people didn't see today. Many people didn't see last month. We know we have this COVID going on. And we're actually able to come together where before it was just straight virtual. So just always understand that these small things aren't really small, they're really big. And you gotta understand that um, that's something to be grateful about. So today's November the 1st, right? And in two days, we got this zoo getting ready to happen called the elections. And I call it a zoo because there's so much going on with this side and that side. First of all, let me back up and give honor to Pastor Candace, Pastor Aaron. It's always a privilege for them to invite me. You always gotta give honor to your leaders. It's just a respect thing, it's a military thing too. But understand this, so November 3rd is coming up and many people are torn. Some of us that are old school, even new school, it's the saying that says, you're supposed to separate church and state. Well, I can tell you right now, you got church and church that is separate separate church and state but the way the divisiveness is in the body of Christ you got to almost today separate church and church and why am I saying that to you I want you to understand that there's one spirit one Lord and one baptism there is one Lord and Savior who paid it all and gave it all and gives it all at us and his name is Jesus Christ he does not have a color white black Hispanic or whatever so I would encourage you all as you go forth to the polls, as you go forth as men and women, warriors for Christ Jesus, always remember that one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. And again, he knows no color. We are to promote what he says to remote, promote. You understand what I'm saying? Understand that truly. Because if the church is going to have any type of power to make great impact, which Latina is trying to do, I'm not just doing that for the African-American culture. For your kids, your kids, and your kids, you understand, because they're the future. And again, our Father is the creator of all. So as we move in, today is November the 1st. Have a spirit of gratitude. Pull yourself away from all of the hustle and bustle and the roar. Peace be still. Let faith arise. Even as you go forth into the election in terms of those things, but past that, don't let the roar overtake you. Let peace be still. How are you able to do that? I'm going to give you a piece of my sandwich. I spent a lot of time in worship and prayer. You got anxiety. You got in depression. You worried about the economy, the election. You worried about everything, your health. Peace be still. How do you get that? You praise and you worship. You praise and you worship. If you have a dilemma, a problem, I don't care what it is in your personal life, your business, your health, everything. I'm going to give you a simple antidote. This is coming from a first responder. A simple antidote. It's called praise and worship. And when you praise and worship, the Father will transcend. 
You get me? So go into this season, go into this election, go into your life with a spirit of gratitude. And what I'm going to say to you, I give God all honor and power. Because anybody that know me from last year, I was going through what they call a crushing season. And if God raised me up from my bed of affliction and from death to let Latina stand here right, right now, healed, healthy, and whole, and tell you that my God reigns, Jehovah Adonai. Because I was about dead. The bottom dropped out. It was called my crushing season. But he brought me back. He crushed my grapes and made them into wine. And I'm telling you that nothing that we face is too hard for our Father. And whatever this election, after the election, your health, your life, your money, always understand that go to the Father. He is faithful. He is good. And he's doing some things in the earth. But raise up. Stand up. Matter of fact, that word says, I'll stand. I read in Isaiah 51 today. I told my sisters on the prayer line. It said, stand up. Zion, I'm saying to you in the name, Lord Jesus Christ, stand up. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we declare that in Jesus' name. We receive that word. We instruct our spirits to stand up, to be at peace, to walk in the joy of Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I've already had a number of conversations this morning about the crazy week that we're heading into, right? We're all sort of, it feels like we're like battening down the hatches, just stealing ourselves for just a crazy week. And let me tell you what, this is how we fight our battles, right? With worship. As followers of Jesus, we get to enter into the presence of God where there is peace that passes all understanding, joy, unspeakable. This is our strength. This is how we fight our battles. And I'm not talking about the outcome of the election. I'm talking about peace in the middle of all of the unrest, right? Peace in the middle of the storm, not in the absence of it. So this morning, we're going to enter into that, right? We're going to stand. If you're here in the room, stand at home. If you're watching with us, we're going to lift our hands and surrender and abandon. I just want to encourage you to close your eyes and focus in this morning. This is how we fight our battles. So God, this morning we just, we take a deep breath in your presence. We focus ourselves on who you are. You are the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. You hold the world in your hand. You already know what's going to happen this week and the week after that, and you, you get it. You understand the unrest in our souls, but you also breathe peace. God, we focus ourselves on you, and we choose to tap into that today. Choose to anchor our soul in who you are, not in everything going on in the world, but in you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you. We focus on you this morning in Jesus' name. Let's worship.